The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. We've been working through the book of Mark, and we're actually turning the page today to Mark chapter 15. And we're almost done. So you're like, wow, we're coming at the end of this thing. Well, it's, it's, it is the end of it, but man, it's, well, it's all good. But this is like the really, really good part where Jesus walks uh, faithfully towards the, the cross to bear our sin for us. Um, if, if you have ever raised a toddler, I want, I want you to raise your hand. You've raised a toddler. If you've baby, keep your hand up. If you've babysat a toddler, keep your hand up. Or if you babysat a toddler. If you have a friend who has raised or babysat a toddler, raise your hand. All right, so it's, it's all of us, right? Okay, all of us know what it's like to see a toddler develop. My daughter, she'll be three in a couple of uh, weeks. It's, a, it's crazy to think that she's grown that much. But it, it, you'll understand what I'm saying. I have learned so much about myself as I watch her grow. You know what I'm saying? Over the last 35 months, I've seen my daughter grow from absolute total dependence upon her mama, April, and myself to growing independent of us wanting to do what? Everything on her own, right? Everything on her own. Everything from dressing herself on her own. Daddy, I'm going to use a potty on my own. I want to uh, walk up down the steps on my own, on my own, on my own. Every single day that passes, there's something more that she wants to do independent, free from mama and daddy. You know what I'm talking about. We've all seen this. We've all experienced this. This isn't a bad thing. Okay? It's not a bad thing. It would be kind of strange if uh, our soon-to-be three-year-old, the only thing that she did on her own was breathe. That would be strange. That's what she did when she was born. That's the only thing she did on her own was breathe. And, and, and it would be strange if that's all that she continued to do. So it's normal. It's natural for our kids to grow. And so this isn't a bad, bad thing whatsoever. In fact, one of the happiest moments I understand uh, is especially for dads, is when their kids grow, they graduate from high school, from college, and then they get a job of their what? I see that, I see that head shaking, Larry. They get a job of their own, and, and, and more importantly, what that means is they have pay, and what, more importantly than that, they're no longer a leech, I mean, uh, supported by mom and dad, and so there is, there's joy in that, right, Larry, right, all you guys who have experienced that, there's joy in that, so it's a normal thing, it's a natural thing. For a capable 40-year-old individual to still be living supported by mom and dad for food, clothing, and shelter, it's, it's not wrong or sinful. It's just abnormal, okay? It's just abnormal. There's a reason that our kids long for independence. There's a reason why we long for freedom. It's how life works. It's natural. The opposite would kind of be strange. Now, I know there's at least one mama at least one mama in here that said, nope, not me, not my kids. My kids are going to live with me forever, right? There's at least one mama, right? Now, I've been around the block just a couple of times. I'm not that old, but I've heard some mamas say that exact thing when the kids are little, but then once the kids hit teenage years, they're like, when are, when are you getting out of here, right? When are you leaving, And so we've all experienced this. We know what it means to grow from dependence to independence. It's normal, okay? This growing sense and desire for freedom, it's 
It's in us. It's, there's within us this desire. And I'm glad it works that way because I don't want my children to be teenagers and me still changing their diapers. Okay, It shouldn't work that way. There's, this, there's, there's a growing independence. And I'm glad for that so that when I get old and decrepit, my mature, independent kids will come and change my diapers. Right? So, so there's a good thing. It's a cycle of life. It's the way we work. So I'm, I'm working off an assumption this morning. Here's my assumption that I'm working off of this morning. Whether you are a Christ follower or not, really at this point it doesn't matter because I think this assumption is universal. My assumption is that whether you follow Christ, whether you believe in this thing of what Jesus has done or not, it doesn't really matter. At this point, my assumption is that we all see that it's normal for people to grow from dependence upon parents to independence. One day, one step, one one phase at a time you know there's a lot of school teachers in here if you teach school or if you keep daycare you see this on a daily basis you want if you're a school teacher you want by the end of the year for your students to be able to do something that they couldn't do at the beginning of the year right whether it's be able to tie their shoes or solve for x whatever it is you want them to grow throughout the course of the year so this drive for freedom it's in all of us. It's, it's needed. It consumes us. It's who we are. But do you see how this drive, this insatiable thirst for freedom in this world can actually result in greater slavery in this world? I'm going to ask that again. Do you see how this insatiable drive for independence and for freedom can actually, in this world, result in greater enslavement in this world. Now, not always, for sure. But think with me. This drive for freedom, this drive for independence, is why teenagers rebel against authority only to get themselves in more what? Trouble. More enslavement to rules. More rules. It's why husbands and wives so often struggle to see eye to eye because I want freedom in my cho choosing and in, 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 in being right and, and all these things. It's why teenage boys who are sick and tired of mama and daddy's rules, as soon as they turn 18, they run and join the military only to find out that now they can't even use the bathroom without someone's permission. So this, this thirst for freedom in this world a lot of times ends up enslaving us more in this world it's why credit cards get maxed out every single month because there's a feeling in us that we want to buy what we want purchase it how we want it when we want it and nobody can tell us what to do but then only to find out that month after month we're becoming more and more enslaved to mr mastercard or visa or discover whatever your get you the best points right so there's a there's an enslavement thinking we're actually free we actually become more enslaved. In the corporate world, it's why we spend so much of our time climbing the corporate ladder because we don't like the fact that there's somebody over us telling us what to do. We want to get to the top to tell others what to do, but then once we get there, we realize that if we slow down just one gear, if we slow down just one step, there are dozens of people underneath us that will gladly take our place. So we work and work to get to the top, and we're enslaved to only work harder and harder, or else we'll lose our job, our spot, our status this drive for freedom in this world for independence it it prevails through us and and in general we tend to default to do whatever we think gives us freedom 
It's why so many marriages fail these days. Marriages fail because we think that by getting out of the marriage, we'll actually gain freedom. That's what we think. It's a lie we buy into a lot of times. But don't you realize that once we do end the marriage, that we now become enslaved to financial settlements? We become enslaved to hours and hours with a counselor trying to put our life back together. Not to mention the, the slavery that we now have to the various baggage that we bring in to the next relationship. We think that just running gives us freedom, but it actually a lot of times gives us more enslavement. It's why teenage girls, a lot of times, they run and rebel from mom and daddy's rules only to find themselves as the mere object to be conquered by a teenage boy, enslaved to that relationship. So is this a good thing? Is it good that we have a drive for freedom and independence in this world? Well, I would say, like with anything, if it's used godly, then yeah. Sure, it's a great thing. But if it's used in a damaging way, man, this is not for our benefit. This is not good. So here's what I want us to really dive into this morning as we turn our page to Mark 15. How do freedom and independence really work? What do they look like? How can we truly be free and exercise freedom without actually becoming more enslaved to the systems that we're thinking we're gaining freedom from? And I really encourage you to come to a community group this week. Because inside of our community groups, we're really going to dive into what freedom looks like. If you've never been into a community group, just pull out your little bulletin and they're listed in the houses and, and the locations and the times in the, in, the, in the little bulletin that we gave you. It's also on our website. So how does this work? Is this good, this, this, this desire for freedom? Listen, God made you. God made each one of us, and he has wired us to actually desire freedom, and he has done a work to set you free. But until you see this work, until you see where freedom is actually found, we're going to continue to become more and more enslaved to the things that we think we're gaining freedom from, but we're actually not. So let's go to Mark 15. And in the first 15 verses of Mark 15 that we're going to look at, we're going to see several groups of people who think they're actually gaining freedom, but the reality is that they are becoming more and more enslaved, and they don't even know it. And I see us in this. I see our community in this. I see me in this. Thinking that by what I'm doing is actually gaining freedom from this thing, whatever this thing is, but I actually become more enslaved. Jesus has been arrested, for those who haven't been following with us. He's been charged with blasphemy by the religious leaders of the day. And even his most outspoken disciples, followers, has denied over and over and over that he even knows Jesus. And now Jesus is about to be led away to the Roman governor of the area. His name's Pilate. So let's go to these first 15 verses. We're going to look quickly at what's happening and then we're going to come back and look at the five different groups of people that are in this, these, this passage and ask a simple question. Are they really free? Are they really free? Let's start in verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests had held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. This is the religious leaders. They all put their brains together to say, hey, what do we do next? 
Well, they bound Jesus and led Jesus away to be, and delivered him to Pilate. Now, if you're new with us, a lot of the times what we do is we'll read a, a little bit and then we'll kind of talk about it. And then we'll read a little bit and we'll kind of talk about it. And so we read a little bit there. We're going to talk about this for a second. Why in the world did they enchain Jesus? Why did they bind him up with ropes or whatever in order to lead him away? Apparently, he was been, had been in their... In their, in their custody all night long because remember he was arrested the night before and as best as we know he did not give any sign any threat that he was going to run away so why now when they're about to lead him to Pilate for Pilate's judgment on him do they chain him up like a common criminal that's kind of strange in my mind he hasn't resisted arrest why, why all of a sudden he hasn't been enchained all night. Why all of a sudden? Well, you see, the religious leaders did not have the legal right to crucify anyone. Rome had to give that permission. And in fact, Rome themselves had to actually do the crucifying. So they couldn't take Jesus to Pilate looking like a common everyday rabbi, which is what he looked like. They had to beat him up and bind him in chains to make him look like a common criminal so that Pilate would agree with him that he does deserve death. We must remember that Jesus was not on trial before the religious leaders and here before Pilate because he had been caught. We, we must remember that it wasn't because he was outwitted by people smarter than him. Jesus said that no one can take his life from him, but that he willingly would lay down his life for his friends. There were numerous times, you ought to read them, there were numerous times throughout the three years of Jesus' ministry where the religious leaders got so mad they wanted to kill him right there on the spot. But the Bible says that he just walked through their crowd unharmed. There were times when they picked up stones, ready to hurl stones at him until he was dead. But the Bible says that he just slipped through their grip. Why? Because his time had not come. No one is going to take his life. He willingly lays down. Remember in the night of his arrest, when they said, are you Jesus the Christ? He said, I am. And at just saying, I am, they all fell on their, on their backs and out of the power of who Jesus is. Nobody has outwitted Jesus. He has come to fulfill his mission. No one has trapped him. No one's tricked him. No one's gotten the upper hand on him. Anything like that. He is there on his own accord carrying out the very plan that he and the Father had established before the world was even created. But the religious leaders, they try their best to present Jesus to Pilate as a common criminal. Chained and beaten to that Pilate would not be confused of who the religious leaders think Jesus is, deserving of death. Verse 2, so Pilate asks him, they get to Pilate, and Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. Which is kind of a strange English phrase there, but it, it simply means, you know what, you ought to really think about that, Pilate. You really ought to consider that. You really ought to think about that. Verse 3 says, the chief priest accused him of many things. And again, Pilate asks, have you no answer to make? See all these charges. See how many charges they bring against you. But look at verse 5. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was what? Amazed. Pilate was amazed. Think of how many criminals have stood in the same spot where Jesus is now standing. This is not the only trial that Pilate oversaw. Think of the hundreds of 
thousands of criminals who have squirmed and lied and tried their best to get out of the judgment that they were due, but not Jesus. Jesus, the only perfect criminal, was standing here before Pilate. He is not opening his mouth to defend him. And this amazed Pilate. He'd never seen anything like this. He was so used to criminals graveling at his feet for mercy that Jesus' no response was weird. It's amazing to Pilate. And verse 6 says that now the feast, at the feast, and this is the Passover feast, the one-time-a-year feast, similar in the timing to our Easter, but it's a Passover feast every spring. At the Passover feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. So Pilate, remember, he is a Roman governor. He is not Jewish. He is a Roman governor. And in order to continuously earn some political capital with the Jews, he would release a prisoner this one time every single year. There were frequent riots, insurrections, and all sorts of things staged by the Jews against the Romans. Remember that Rome was occupying Israel. The Israelites were not free. They were not free to do what they wanted. They were not free at all. In fact, they were only free to do whatever Rome said they could do. And so there was tension daily in the streets of Jerusalem. The Israelites, they wanted their freedom. Remember, that's natural. It's normal. We want our freedom. But there was daily tension in the streets. The Romans grew rich by taxing the Jews and by taxing other lands that they were occupying. So the Jews were were not happy whatsoever with the Roman control, with Roman rule. And so Pilate wanted to keep them happy with him by releasing back one of, their, one of the rebels, one of the freedom fighters every year. And verse 7 says, among these rebels, among these freedom fighters in prison was one who had committed a murder in the insurrection. And his name was Barabbas, a man called Barabbas. So this guy with his funny name, Barabbas, it was one of the rebels who had been arrested by Rome to overthrow the Roman government. But this Barabbas, listen, he was no pushover. His passion for freedom by overthrowing the Roman government was, was so intense that he was willing to commit murder in order to gain freedom. Murder, a capital offense punishable by crucifixion. There is no doubt that Barabbas is sitting in his jail cell waiting for his crucifixion the coming day. John's account of this tells us that there were two thieves with Barabbas waiting their crucifixion as well. In Matthew's account, Barabbas was notorious. That is, he was a famous freedom fighter. Now, we really have got to understand the hatred between the Jews and the Romans. That they hated it. They did not want the Romans to control them whatsoever. So I don't think it's too crazy to understand that the Jews considered Barabbas a sort of hero. You see that? Because he fought for their freedom from Rome. Now we've all seen the movie Braveheart, right? Right? Braveheart, that's a man's movie, right? Now I know many of you, or some of you, at least one of you, think that you're, you know, consider your favorite movie something to do with princesses and brides. All right, but if you are a real man, Braveheart is where it's at. All right? Braveheart. Violence, love, underdogs, right? Retaliation, suspense, betrayal. It's classic. 
the man's movie, right? With that princesses and brides and stuff, right? So to help us out, all right, in understanding who Barabbas was to the Jews, I think we can use this as an idea. Certainly not inspired, just an idea, okay? I think that Barabbas was to the Israelites something similar that William Wallace was to the Scots. You see that? He was a freedom fighter. He was a rebel against the occupying force. Barabbas, I think, was loved by the Israelites for he fought for their freedom from Rome. I think he was a genuine hero. Barabbas' name is unique. It's actually his last name. And it's made up of two words. Bar, which means son, and Abba, which means what? Father. Daddy. And so what his name literally means is son of the Father. Son of us, the nation. Son that we've created from our own loins is the idea. Verse 8. Let's get back into this. The crowd, okay, now we're introduced to this crowd that's hanging around. This crowd, this mob came up and began to ask Pilate to do what as he usually did for them. Well, what is that? Remember, it's to release a prisoner. And Pilate answered them, verse 9, saying, okay, so I'm going to release somebody. i got these two prisoners here, Barabbas and Jesus. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Talking about Jesus. For, verse 10, he perceived that it was only out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. So Pilate offers this moral choice to the crowd, to this mob which is becoming angry. And Pilate's ultimate goal, we'll see in verse 15, is to simply keep the mob happy pacify it seems that he doesn't really want to convict an innocent man but he also doesn't want to create a riot that he's responsible for to caesar so standing between before these angry mob of these two men barabbas son of our fathers son of that we've created this concept or jesus the son of god barabbas who's a freedom fighter a roman hater this insurrectionist Perhaps a hero like we talked about. But Jesus, who definitely is a freedom fighter, but for a much bigger cause. Not simply fighting to free the people from Roman oppression, but fighting to, re- to free us from sin itself. From judgment. From death. Verse 11, but the chief priest, so you see this? You have these two men standing there. The chief priest, the religious leaders, verse 11 says, they stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release for them Barabbas instead of Jesus. The, the religious leaders, man, they were, they were so convinced that they had everything that they needed in themselves and in their hero, Barabbas, that they worked up the crowd to, to convince the crowd to give Barabbas instead of Jesus. You see, the religious crowd, the religious, religious leaders, they didn't need salvation from their sins. They had the religion that saved them, they thought. They didn't need a Savior to set them free from death. They had men like Barabbas and other rebels who would rebel against Rome and fight for them. They didn't need rescuing from their penalty of sin. They had men like Barabbas to rescue them. They didn't need the Son of God. They had a son of their own making in Barabbas. They didn't need to trust in Jesus. They were already trusting in themselves. The so verse 12 says that Pilate again asks, well, what do you want me to do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And the crowd cry out, cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. 
They wanted nothing more to do with the Son of God. They didn't want to deal with Him any longer. They had had their fill of Him. They had made their choice. And they chose to receive their own flesh, their own self, and reject the Son of God. They had chosen to embrace their own ideas, their own religion, their own philosophies, their own intellect, and reject the one who would truly set them free. Their plan for freedom required Barabbas, not Jesus. Verse 14 says that Pilate said to them, well, what evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him. It didn't matter anymore what he had done in the minds of the crowd. It didn't matter anymore. Justice was out the door. They just wanted him dead. So Pilate, verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, which that's a big word in and of itself, which means basically beat him within inches of his life, he delivered him over to be crucified. They didn't put a healthy man upon the cross because it would take too long for them to die. They beat them within inches of their life, then nailed them to a cross so it would be much faster and much more painful death. John chapter 1 verse 11 is this happening. John chapter 1 verse 11 says that Jesus came into his own and his own people did not receive him. We see that happening here. So let me ask you, that's where we're stopping today in Mark. We're going to pick up in verse 16 next week. I hope you come back. But as we wrap this thing up, let me just ask you some questions. Who is truly free in this? Who is truly free? There's five people, really four people in one group, but let's just say five people. Let's think them through real quickly. You have first the religious leaders. Were they free? Were they free? They were occupied by Rome. They didn't even have the ability to execute someone without Roman permission. Were they free? No way. They weren't free at all. They were living in total fear. Fear of what Jesus was doing. Jesus was turning people away from their religion. They were living in fear, in bondage to fear. They even held an illegal trial against Jesus back in chapter 14 because they feared him so much. There is no fear in true freedom. These religious leaders were enslaved to fear. They were enslaved to Rome. They were enslaved to Pilate's wishes. They were not free at all. In fact, they were enslaved to the need for men like Barabbas to lead them in what they thought was freedom. So were the religious leaders truly free? No. Not at all. They thought they were. They thought they were gaining freedom by killing Jesus, but no. They were just becoming more and more ensnared in this trapment of sin. Think about Pilate real quick. Was he free? Well, you might say, well, yeah, he, he's not a Jew. He, he's, a, he, he's a Roman governor, and so he is in, in charge of the area. Well, that sounds good, but look at verse 15. Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd. Wishing, needing to satisfy the mob. That is, Pilate is enslaved to the mob itself. Pilate knew that if he did not keep Jerusalem under control, then he would be replaced by someone else. And he would lose his job. He would lose his status in the Roman government. Pilate wasn't free. He was fearful of the crowd. He was fearful of the the mob. He was fearful of Caesar. 
firing him, even killing him, if he didn't keep the area under control. At the end of the day, Pilate didn't want to be making this decision. He was trapped. Either convict an innocent man or watch his rule, his kingdom, come to an end. He was enslaved. Let's look real quickly at the mob, the crowd. Well, maybe they are free. I mean, they were the ones who Pilate, you know, uh, succumbed his, his desires to. He, he, he was the one that Pilate, that, that controlled what Pilate did, right? So maybe they were free. Well, verse 11 says that the religious leaders who we just saw aren't free were the ones that were controlling the mob. And so they were being controlled by the religious leaders to do whatever the religious leaders wanted done. So the crowd wasn't even free. They, they did whatever the religious leaders told them to do. So the question is, is anybody truly free? Well, there's two more people. You got Barabbas. Barabbas, finally, right? Finally, someone who is free. Well, let's think about this. He's not sitting in jail anymore. That's good. And he's not carrying a cross in a couple of hours that he was about to. Now Jesus is carrying that cross. So that's good. That seems like freedom. But let me ask you, is Barabbas free from the Roman oppression that he sought so earnestly to end? No. Is Barabbas free to do whatever he desires inside of his Jewish culture? No. Rome was still in control. Barabbas might have not been sitting in jail any longer, but the freedom that which he killed for still evaded him. He thinks he's free, but he's not. So who is free? Is anybody free? The religious leaders, they're not truly free. They're enslaved by fear. Pilate, he's not truly free. He's enslaved by keeping the mob quiet. The religious, the, 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 the Barabbas, he's not free. He's still under the oppression of, the, the, of Rome. And Pilate, he's got to keep everybody quiet. Who is free? Hopefully you see where we're going with this. There's only one person left. But this makes no sense to our rational mind. Jesus. Jesus? Think of, what is it? Coach playoffs? Jesus? Is Jesus? How can you say that Jesus is really free? He's the only one who's actually a prisoner in these verses. He's the one who's actually wearing chains in this verse. How can we think and say that he is free? The religious leaders, the mob, Barabbas even, they're not wearing chains, but you're saying, Walt, that they're enslaved, but yet Jesus, who the one who is in chains, you're saying he's free? Yes. Absolutely. Watch, with, watch me. Watch, watch this right here. You see, the only one who was there doing exactly what they wanted to be doing, doing it exactly how they wanted it done, was Jesus. It was Jesus. The religious leaders, Pilate, the mob, even Barabbas, were all stuck, not sure what was going to happen. The religious leaders didn't know what Pilate was going to do. They were enslaved to Pilate's rule. The Pilate didn't know if the mob was going to revolt, revolt against him, so he's enslaved. To, none of them knew what was happening. They were all enslaved to each other, and it was getting worse and worse. Only Jesus was the one who knew exactly what was happening because he and God the Father had planned this day before they even started the world spinning around the sun. 
The Father and the Son agreed together that this day would come, that the Son would be offered up as a sacrifice for people. They planned out every single detail of it and then even revealed it to many Old Testament prophets who wrote about it and not really knowing what they were writing and and thousands of years before it even happened. Jesus has seen this day clearly since before the world was revolving. Jesus is the only one who is truly free. He was fulfilling His mission that He entered the human race to accomplish. He was freely laying down His life for His friends. He was freely giving Himself for the redemption of man. He was free. We've got to see this, guys. Our journey marker, this is kind of the thought that we try to resonate in our minds throughout the week, and we talk about it in our community groups, but this thought is that freedom, true freedom, is found only in Jesus. It's found only in Jesus. No one took his life from him. He freely laid it down to totally and perfectly remove every single sin from you that stood between you and the Father. His free act on the cross purchased your freedom from sin. His free act on the cross guaranteed freedom to anyone who would receive Him and this freedom that He's purchased. His free act on the cross gives new life to anyone who believes in him. John 1.11, we just read it a second ago. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, to all who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become sons of God, children of the Most High. Like the other four people in these verses, you may think you have freedom. You may think that that you can look to your intellect or to your reason, your philosophies, your culture, your job, your laws, your government, your schools, your politicians, your community, even your religion, even to this church, and think that that gives you freedom. Listen, if you are not in Christ, if you are not in Jesus, then you are not in freedom. Part of our problem is that we're unwilling to agree that we need a Savior like Jesus. We, we, we're convinced that, that we can gain true freedom of, on our own. Just like the religious leaders, just like Pilate, just like the mob and Barabbas. Listen, we're only spinning our wheels, getting more and more entrapped in the things of this world when we think we're actually gaining freedom from this world. It's only in Christ where you have freedom. Have you received Him? Have you believed in His name and who He is? Have you believed in the fact that He took all of your sin upon Himself so that when you do believe Him, you are actually free. Free from sin. Free from judgment. Free from condemnation. Free from even death. Listen, there's no sting in death any longer in your physical death because sin has lost its power by the work of Christ. When you die, it's just the, it's just the separation of your body from your spirit and your spirit continues to live. It is already new. You are already, if you are in Christ, you're already free. 
Will you believe in Him today? You say, Walt, you have no clue how messed up my life is. You have no clue how wicked and evil my thoughts are, my actions. I might not. But don't you realize that that's the whole point of the cross? The whole point of the cross was to take all of that off of you and put it on Jesus to die for you. God knew your life would be messy. He knew you'd try and try to gain your own freedom. And He knew that you'd get worse and worse enslaved to it every time you tried. He knew that. He knew you wouldn't measure up. That's why He sent His Son. So that you, now believing in Him, are given everything that Christ has. Freedom. Listen, Jesus literally took Barabbas' place that day. He took his place. He took his condemnation. I think it's even reasonable to suggest that Jesus took Barabbas' cross. The murderer was set free and the innocent died. And that's exactly what has happened for you. God has placed all your sin on His Son. God has crushed your sin when He crushed His Son. Your sin is gone. It's removed from forever. You must believe this. Your believing in this means that you have new life. Your believing in this means that you have new life in Christ. Believing Jesus means that you have true freedom forever in Christ. Believing Jesus means that your sins will never, ever be held against you again. It means that everything that Christ is, you now are in Him. Righteous, holy, blameless, sinless, perfect, alive, free. You're saying, Walt, you're saying that we'll, we don't sin if we believe in Jesus? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that even that sin was removed from your account and you stand blameless in Christ. Saints, we've got to see this. We've got to see that our freedom is in Christ and nothing else. In this world, we think that growing maturity, we, we consider growing maturity, that, that phase that our kids go from total dependence upon us to independence from us. In this world, we call that maturing. But that's not the case in the kingdom of God. Listen, it's not the case in the kingdom of God. In this world, maturing is growing independent, growing free from others. But in the kingdom of God, true maturity, listen, is a growing dependence upon Jesus himself, who is now in us, living his life through us. I'll go as far as to say that spiritual immaturity is when we think we can grow independent from Jesus in our life as we think we can produce holiness and righteousness on our own by our actions. That is spiritual immaturity. Spiritual maturity is growing more and more dependent on Him. It's all Him. He is our life. He is our love. He is our joy. He is our peace. He's our long-suffering. He is our kindness. He is our goodness. He is our faithfulness. He is our gentleness. He is our self-control. He is our freedom. He is our everything. Let the church say, yes, yes, He is everything. Our band's going to come up and we're going to close out this morning in a 
a couple of worship songs. The first song that we're going to sing is a very simple, but man, powerful song of our reminding us of His love for us. The Father's love towards us. But then the second song we're going to sing is a song of declaration that we are free. We are free because of what He's done. In Him, we are free. We're free to run. We're free to dance. We're free to move. We're free to have the life of Christ now living through us. The more we mature in our dependence upon Him, the more we'll experience true freedom. The more we see that because of Him we are free from sin, the less sinning we'll end up doing. The more we see that because of Him we are forgiven, the more forgiving we'll be. The more we see that because of Him we are blameless, righteous, holy, the more we'll actually see that being played out through our bodies. It's all Him. It's all Him. The more we see that because we are in Him, we are free, the more free we'll live. Free from the things that trip us up, free from the dangers that ensnare us, free from this cycle of thinking we're growing independence by our efforts, but then only becoming more and more enslaved. The more we see that because of Him we are free, the more free we'll actually be. Freedom is found in Him. I'm going to pray over us. And maybe you struggle this morning with freedom. Freedom from a particular habit. Freedom from particular thinking. Freedom from even a grudge that you're holding against somebody. Whatever it is. Maybe you're really struggling with getting freedom. Listen, your deliverance from that will only come as you see more and more that you are free in Christ. It's Him. It's all Him. Let Him work through you. In you. To produce His life, His fruit through you. Father, I thank You for this morning and for our time. I thank You, God, that we have a picture here of Jesus who looks to be enslaved, but He is free. Doing exactly what He has planned to do. God, I think of Paul as he wrote the book of Philippians and other books, chained in a dungeon, but yet free. For me to live is Christ. For me to live, it's gonna, you're going to see Christ living through me. But He's enchained. But it doesn't matter. Because it's not this world that gives freedom. It's Christ who gives freedom. Father, open our eyes this morning to see that no disease, no death, no cancer, no sin, no anything is our Master any longer for we have been set free. Free to run in You. Free to live in Christ. Free to see and watch Christ live through us in this world. We're going to mess up. We're going to screw it up daily over and over. But You were in Christ Jesus reconciling the whole world to Yourself, not counting our sins against us anymore. God, You have done a work of freeing us. And may we live free. I pray for our community groups this week.
as we talk about this, as we dive into how we grow in this freedom in Christ and what it can look like in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, with our workplace, I pray, Father, for these community groups that they will be places where we grow in our freedom that we have in Christ. God, I thank You. I pray that we continue to worship You this morning as we sing, we worship in music. God, do a work in this place, we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.